Hey, if you weren't here last night, we've got some uh, booklets with notes in them. Uh, come help yourself, or there you go. I know not everybody enjoys taking notes. Some people do, and uh, it's a good learning tool, but uh, that's up to you. Uh, tonight we're on page four, if that helps you to follow along, and uh, jump right in there. Um, give me just a little bit less, Jim. Um, good to have uh, a few more people here tonight. One of them that I know that came in today, wasn't able to be here last night, is uh, Jim Hively, um, chairman of my elder board, over here checking up on me. Um, I, it reminds me of uh, a pastor who was new in a church, and, but he was a good speaker. He got invited to go to a lot of places to preach, and, and this one elder was always there. And, uh, you know, the pastor kind of took that as a flattering thing, and and, uh, but after a while, he just said, uh, you know, brother, I need to ask you, uh, you're always here when I speak. And uh, that's really great, but I'm just kind of wondering why. And he said, I've always heard that every pastor has one good sermon in him, and I'm going to be there when you preach it. <laughs> uh, open your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 1. Hopefully this will be a good sermon <laughs> after that. Second Peter chapter 1. Just over the hill from here is a little business called Microsoft. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, I have certainly encouraged them over the years with my regular contributions uh, through the purchase of computers and software. My wife uh, loves that other company, uh, down in San Francisco, but I'm a Microsoft guy for the most part. But I'm not really a huge fan of Bill Gates. Uh, here's a couple of excerpts from an interview he did in 1995 uh, with a fellow named David Frost, who some of us will remember as a uh, well-known journalist. David Frost to Bill Gates. Do you believe in the Sermon on the Mount? Gates, I don't. I'm not somebody who goes to church on a regular basis the specific elements of Christianity are not something I'm a huge believer in. There's a lot of merit in the moral aspects of religion. I think it can have a positive impact. Frost. I sometimes say to people, do you believe there is a God or do you know that there is a God? And you'd say you don't know. Gates. In terms of doing things, I take a fairly scientific approach to why things happen and how they happen. I don't know if there's a God or not, but I think religious principles are quite valid. Later, uh, a year later, he was profiled in a Time uh, magazine article. Interviewer named Walter Isaacson. Here's some excerpts. Question. Isn't there something special, perhaps even divine, about the human soul? Answer. I don't have any evidence of that. Later, he states this. Just in terms of the allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on Sunday morning. Bill Gates throws down an interesting gauntlet. He says, I don't think it's a good investment of time. Now, last night, I put forth a thesis. Oh, and am I working? There we go. I put forth a thesis 
which is this. The Christian life is a gift from God which only reaches its full potential through the dedicated effort of each Christian. Now that's my thesis, and that thesis asks, needs to be asked this question. Will growing in Christ really be worthwhile? If I am right, if God's word is, if I understand God's word correctly, that the Christian life is a gift from God which only reaches its potential, then it's a valid question to ask. Will the effort that I have to expend to grow in Christ be a worthwhile investment of my time? Or will I, at the end of the day, like Bill Gates say, it's a poor investment. It's an inefficient way to use my life. I hope to show you from Scripture tonight that the nature of salvation, the the qualities of salvation, the characteristics of salvation validate the effort of growth in Christ-likeness. It is a good investment of your time. Please follow as I read from 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I want to tell you tonight that I believe the effort of spiritual growth, of growth in Christ is worthwhile because salvation involves the complete scope of life. Look at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that we need to know to live. God makes this audacious claim. I have told you everything you need to know about how to live life. Now, he doesn't say... I've told you everything you need to know about driving a car or cooking stew. But when it comes to life, to life, how to conduct a relationship, how to go from day to day, questions that we have like this. Do you need to know about life after death? It's in there. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. As I said last night, I think that's the number one thing you need to know about. Because you know what? You don't know how long your life is going to be. Now, young people especially never think about death until one of their friends is killed you know it wasn't that many years ago at camp somebody who worked on the staff here was driving down the road over here lived over not too far from here died in a car accident young person 18 19 years old yeah you don't know how long your life's going to be you need to be ready for eternity you want an answer about eternity it's in here and that's just one little passage that gives you an answer do you need to know how to how to get along with your husband or wife it's in here I say unto you, love your enemies. <laughs> now, I knew you'd snicker when I put that up there. 
We have several words that define our relationships. One of them is friend. One is lover. And then we have a category we call not friends. Because we don't ever like to use the word enemy because we're too nice for that. Jesus says... If they're not your friend and they're not your lover, then you're your enemy and you're still supposed to love them. You want to know how to get along with that hard person in your life? It's in here. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of what God tells us about that. Do you need to know how to think about great difficulties in your life? Spent some time this afternoon talking with Aaron, who's a firefighter. I have some background in that and see a lot of difficulty in people's life. How are you going to think about that difficulty? God says, here's how you should think about it. You should understand that what I am doing is using difficulty to help you grow up in Christ. You need to know how to think about it. It's there. And we could go on and on through, through a long list of things. Do you need to know how to repair your marriage after 40 years and five years of sleeping in separate beds? It's in here. Do you need to know how to conquer sexual enslavement that took you all the way to being arrested for indecent exposure? It's in here. Do you need to find a solution for the anxiety that fuels your fear and depression and creates physical sickness? It's in here. Do you need to learn to know how to survive your spouse's adultery and rejection and divorce? It's in here. Do you need to be at peace while you watch your loved one slowly slip into eternity? It's in here. It's in here and it's nowhere else. It's all provided by God. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. A right understanding. And the only way we can really grasp this is to understand the nature of salvation. What is salvation like? Salvation involves the complete scope of life. Here is, listen to God's description of salvation. And the word became flesh, talking about Jesus Christ, and he dwelt among us, and we, we saw his glory, the glory is of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth, and of his fullness we have received. We have received of the fullness of the character of Christ. That's what it means to be saved. Our salvation infuses us with the life of Christ. Could anything be more complete? Could anything be more valuable? How could a believer ever lack for some ability for living? Can you imagine Jesus walking around in a tizzy saying, I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. They're treating me bad. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. How will I ever make it through this? Isn't there somebody with knowledge who can help me? And we think, Dave, you're, being, you're practically being sacrilegious. And you say, well, no, not Jesus, because he was God. Yeah, I get that. What does that verse say right there? We have received from his fullness. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The debate about whether salvation meets all of our needs for life is, is not a new debate. Listen to this. Listen to this from Colossians. Beware. Beware lest anyone cheat you. 
God knew all the way back when Paul wrote Colossians that people were going to try to convince you of some other truth. And the net effect of that truth would be to keep you from getting the blessing God intends for you. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not to Christ For in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Here it is again. And you are complete in him. Who is the head of all principality and power? You are complete in him. God knew almost 2,000 years ago that men would come along and try to give you answers to life based on philosophy, common wisdom, and scientific research. Philosophy, common wisdom, the tradition of men, and scientific research, the basic principles of this world. And there are all kinds of people today saying, look at this, look at this natural world, look at this, look at this, look at astrology, look at this, this understanding of here and there and, and all over the place. And God says, don't let anybody cheat you because you have been given the fullness of Christ Yeah, you know, most of you know that's actor Patrick Swayze who died in 2009. And he briefly considered becoming a Scientologist. If you don't know what that is, it's a religion that has to do with thought, you know, how you think and some things like that. And here's his quote, his words. I've always felt there was something different in there, in my personality, but I was scared to look for fear I wouldn't find anything. That's the reason I got into Buddhism, therapy, Scientology, and transcendental meditation. I was trying to support that internal side of my life. Looking, 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 looking. Where is there something? Where is there something? He tried... He tried all three categories, philosophy, common wisdom, scientific research, and none of them helped him. Salvation, salvation in Christ involves the complete scope of life. And number two, the effort that it takes for you to grow in Christ is worthwhile because salvation brings the complete power of God. Look back at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, the word of God, that through these you can partake of the divine nature. Salvation brings the complete power of God. God calls us to, through the life of Christ, which was characterized by glory and virtue. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. What does that mean? In reference to Christ, there are two things that identify him as who he said he was going to be. The first is glory, and the second is virtue. And the word virtue we'll also encounter tomorrow night, which means uh, good living, for lack of a better word, obedient living, godliness in character. 
Jesus lived a perfect life. People saw that, and those who were around him for three years said, nobody lives that way. They could see there was something different about him. And then there was the element of glory, and they got to see that through the miracles. They got to see it, three of them on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw his divinity. They saw his divinity lived out in a good life. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and lived among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And as the disciples watched Christ, they came to this conclusion. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? They said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. When he referenced him as the Christ, he referenced him as the one who was promised, the one who was predicted to be the Savior. They saw the glory and virtue of Christ firsthand. When Peter wrote this, he said, God called us through glory and virtue, and he's thinking about Christ, and he's thinking about the good old days. He said, man, it it was so awesome. And I'm sure some of the time he's thinking, man, I blew some opportunities. But it was so great to be there with him and to see him face to face and to see how great he was. Now, we don't get that chance. We see him here. In the word of God. That's why he called us through glory and virtue, but he delivers his power through the knowledge of him and through the promises, the exceedingly great and precious promises. We've come to saving faith in Christ through this precious um, seed, the corruptible seed, not of corruptible, but of incorruptible, through the word of God. The power of God comes through the word of God. And that's why this is true. The word of God is not a book we read, but a power we connect with. When you think about living for Christ, that is not you picking up the Bible and saying, I'm going to try to do what's there, and that's all there is to it. When you pick up God's word and say, I'm going to try to do what God wants me to do because I believe in him, then he comes and infuses your effort with the life of Christ. And real change happens. There is power in the word of God. That's why this familiar verse here, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intents. The word of God is living and powerful. This is power. When you pick it up and believe it and read it and live it, the same word that brings us salvation enables us to grow in Christ. God has not only given us the power for, of belief for salvation, but all that we need for life. All that we need for life. And the world doesn't have it. Some years ago, I was uh, on a team, uh, a government team that responded to fire departments and police departments to help them deal with difficult incidents. It's called critical incident stress debriefing. And as part of that process, we would do pre-incident trainings. We would go to a fire department or police department or, or uh, I went to the ski patrol up on Stevens Pass one time, all kinds of places, and teach them about critical incident stress, what it's like, what happens, and what a debriefing is like after the fact. 
I was not qualified to be a leader because I do not have a, a master's degree in a mental health-related field, so I was considered a peer as a chaplain. And a mental health professional would always go with me on these trainings. And one of them that went with me um, on several of these times, we, we came to, uh, we talked all about it, did all of our training, and at the end of it, somebody raised their hand, which they always did, and asked this question, what do we do about ongoing stress management? And uh, the mental health professional launched into a little dissertation on deep breathing and meditation. And I'm not making it up and I'm not exaggerating. And I tried to give something as uh, generic as I could on spirituality because they were there on the government's dime and I didn't have the opportunity to preach Christ to them. Sometime later, this same mental health professional and I were doing a training in front of another group of people, and the person was saying things that just seemed inappropriate and odd and whatnot, and after a while, I perceived that she was drunk. And what I came to find out was this. She had a partner of 20 years, a man who had lived with her, and he died. And when he died, she became an alcoholic. Now, do you know what her job was as a mental health professional? I've never even heard of this until I met her. She was a thanatologist. She was a professional death educator. That means she was the person that would go and try to teach people how you handle death. She's the expert. Best the world has. Folks, the world talks a good game, but God delivers the power. The real power comes from God through, through his living and powerful word, word, which is completely available to us, to us who have believed in Christ. Ah, salvation involves the complete scope of life, the complete power of God, and it empowers the complete transformation of life he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness and the key phrase here is this what that means to have life and godliness is we can partake of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust now the word corruption here doesn't mean corruption like uh, you know, the mafia or, you know, some kind of, we use the word corruption about politician. It means something that is decaying, something that is breaking down. Um, if you set out some food that needs to be refrigerated in time, it decays and, and so on. That's the corruption it's talking about. He's saying your life either has a quality of God or it has a quality of breaking down. We can partake of the divine nature. And I want to focus on that positive element first. We can partake of the divine nature. What's the divine nature like? Well, let me just give you some examples. The divine nature is loving. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. God is love. And if we get to partake of the divine nature, we have the potential, as Peter will say tomorrow night as we're growing in Christ, to be loving people. The real ability to love comes from God. The divine nature is humble. 
So when Jesus had washed their feet, he took his garment, sat down, and said, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you say, Well, for so I am. If, then, if I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. I, maybe humility is not something you want. I guarantee you it's something you want in other people. A guy like Donald Sterling comes to mind who owns the San Francisco, or the L.A. Clippers. There's a guy who's arrogant in his richness and in his crazy ideas. We can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. The divine nature is peaceful. For, un, for into this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled or spoken bad against, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. When Jesus was being unjustly tried and, and criticized and mocked, he was able to stand there and take it. He didn't freak out. He didn't worry about what was coming next. He said, I'm doing what God wants me to do. And he was at peace. He was at peace. A last example would be this. The divine nature is courageous. Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. There are times when we need to be courageous and God demonstrates that to us, and he gives us examples. These are just examples of the wonderful attributes of the person of Christ, which can be ours through salvation. But Peter tells us we can not only become like Christ, but we can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. What's the corruption that's in the world through lust? Here's, uh, these are all clips from the paper This Week and Last. The New York ban on big sugary drinks fails. The state's highest court struck down New York City's law banning the sale of supersized sugary drinks, ending, <coughs> ending the two-year battle over one of the most memorable and controversial initiatives. The city of New York decided that you, their people were not able to have self-control over sugar, so they're going to cut down the size of a drink you can buy. And you wouldn't be able to buy. What's the big deal? The big deal is the government there thinks people don't have self-control. And so they're going to have to step in and do something about it. Really? You think that people are so out of control that it's the government who has to help them? Maybe self-control is a problem in the world. I don't know. Here's a shocker. Heavy drinking blamed for one in ten adult early deaths. Heavy drinking. Now again, this is not stuff written by Christians. <laughs> and this is, a, this is from a statistical study. It's no secret that America's favorite legal drug has vast impacts on public health. But just how closely binge drinking and overconsumption of alcohol are linked to death may come as a surprise. Do you know what binge drinking is? It's the lack of self-control. God says, I can give you self-control. The world says, we don't need God. Uh, maybe we need something. 
People are dying because of their lack of self-control. Dear Amy, same gal I quoted last night, I have been married for almost 22 years, and while I know he looks at dirty magazines and movies, I was recently stunned that he was also looking online. For 22 years, the guy's looked at pornography, and now she's shocked that he's looking at pornography online. A couple of months ago, I also found that he had a second phone that he hid from me. He was talking to other women, and it just gets worse from there. What's his problem? Well, there's multiple problems, but one of them is the lack of self-control. He doesn't get it from the world. Legalized pot and older addicts worry experts. The opiate use in Whatcom County is out of control. A growing opiate addiction problem, drug and alcohol abuse, and seniors, older people, the looming availability of legal marijuana concerns local experts on addiction. Those people are not Christians who are concerned. Those are just people. And you're telling me that religion is a lousy investment of your time? I don't think so. God has what the world needs. God has what you need. He says, he says, let me go back to this. He says he can transform your whole life. He says he can transform your whole life. Your whole life. And yet, Christians keep falling into keep falling into these things that grab a hold to us and cause us problems why is that you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh Christians still struggle with these things because our flesh is still with us. And we need to escape that. What is it that we can escape? We can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. The corruption that's in the world through lust. I had a man come into my office once many years ago. And he said, I have a problem, okay? So I didn't know this fellow. He'd been referred to me from somewhere far away. I got a problem. I'm in love with two women. And I said, and you're married to one of them, aren't you? He said, yeah. He had a wife and a mistress. And he claimed to be a Christian. And you know why he was here to see me? He wanted me to help him figure out how he could keep them both. Friends, that is the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's the kind of wisdom that the world gives us. I don't know whatever happened to him. We met a couple times, and he quit coming because I kept saying the same thing. But I have seen the results of living in lust 
And the word lust doesn't have to do with sex, by the way. It has to do with just the desires of your flesh, any desire of your flesh. Desire for, for pride to be something, to be someone. could be a sexual desire. could be something about food. It could be about drugs or all kinds of things. We can escape the corruption which is in the world through lust. I have seen the results of living in lust. Divorce, domestic violence, drug addiction, law-breaking. All that stuff we read about in the paper is the corruption of decay. The putrefication that results from living out the sinful desires of the flesh. And the wonderful message of God is this. Salvation makes it possible to escape. He uses the word escape. Clearly indicating that the stuff of the world and the corruption of our flesh hangs on to us. And it's hard to get loose sometimes, but we can escape. Wow, we can escape all that dysfunction and degradation and we can live in joy and peace. We can live in joy and peace. Sue and I went on a little vacation down to uh, California when our girls were in school. And uh, one night after we were all done visiting with them, we're coming back to the hotel room. And, and, the, and this hotel had an outdoor hot tub, and I thought, oh, glory. We walked past the hot tub, and it's empty, double glory. I don't have to share the hot tub with strangers. So I hurried up to the room and I get my swimsuit and I hurried back and there were three people in the hot tub. Once you walk out to the hot tub, you're kind of committed, you know. You, it's like, so I get in, you know, whatever. When I'm on vacation, I, I try not to insert myself into people's lives too much. And uh, so they're talking. And after a while, it became obvious these, three, these people were all participating in a PhD, a doctoral program in psychology in this town in which they came in for classes every so often. And uh, so they're talking. One of them was a lawyer. One of them was a nurse, maybe. One of them was a counselor. I don't know what all their professions were. And they're kind of asking me what I do, and I didn't want to say I just didn't want to start that conversation because I knew it was going to take a lot of work, a lot of effort. And so, you know, finally I said, well, I'm a, I'm a teacher. Oh, okay, what do you teach? That kind of philosophy of life stuff, you know. Finally I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a Baptist pastor and so on. And, and, uh, and I, you know, they'd been talking all about it. I said, hey, i got a question for you. Y'all are studying psychology. The modern psychological movement has been around for about 100 years. You know, Sigmund Freud, late 1800s. He's kind of the father of the whole modern movement. And in the last 100 years, there's been a proliferation of psychological services in our country. And I said, why is our society not getting better They talked, and they talked, and finally one of them said, well, and they, they talked about this and that and the other, and I said, hey, could I tell you about a couple of people? And I just told about some people that had, been, that had escaped the corruption that is in the world by the power of God and his word. And I told a couple of stories like that, and, and this was their response. 
you're able to get close to the people you counsel. That's why they change. Really? The only thing that holds you back from succeeding in changing the world is the inability to get close to the people you counsel? You got to do better than that. Because I'm here to tell you, it ain't about me. It's about this. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And I am so glad for that tonight because I need it and the people that I meet need it. And I think you need it too. I want to challenge you tonight perhaps to recommit yourself to God's word and God's path and to realize that whatever your difficulty Whatever your difficulty is, God says, I have given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's in there. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that it's been spoken tonight, and I pray that you will use it to accomplish your purposes. Father, maybe there's somebody here tonight that needs to escape some particularly gripping corruption that is in the world through lust, will you please help them escape tonight, this week? Will you help them get on the path to having the divine nature of Christ? What a great thing. Father, would you help us to give ourselves to spiritual growth because it is a good deal. It is valuable. It's the only way we can get what we really want and certainly what you want of us. Thank you for our time in the Word. Make it, make it live for your people. I pray in Christ's name, amen.